when I preach about money and giving and stewardship because I, uh, I, I am a human being like you. I am a sinful human being like you. And there is always the danger of greed and covetousness lurking in my heart just like the danger could lurk in your heart. And so when I get ready to speak about money, somebody told me recently, they said, Bart seems to be uncomfortable talking about money, and so maybe this moment will help you understand that. Um, when I'm speaking about money and when I'm speaking about stewardship, there's this kind of weird thing because I'm paid by the church. Okay, so when I talk to you, as I talk to you, I hope running under your mind is a dangerous thing that we've seen in like the tele-evangelists and the prosperity gospel movement. There, there seems to be running under a lot of what they say this thing that is actually to enrich them. And I hope it is as offensive to you as it is to me when we see that. But don't think that I'm immune to that, okay? Don't think that I'm somehow, I've got this, this sinless freedom from, uh, from money, and, and therefore it just doesn't bother me to talk about it. It bothers me to talk about it first and foremost because at my core in the fallenness of my being, apart from the redemption of Christ and real satisfaction with Him, I'm a very selfish person. And I have to get up by the Spirit, by the Word, with the church every day, and I have to fight that. And so laying under all this is that thing in me that I know is messed up. And so when I'm preaching to you, we all know the church pays me, and we all know, you've seen the budget from years past, you know the church pays me very well. And and I'm thankful for that, and that's a blessing, pays the staff well. We're thankful for that. And so I want to be able to get up here, I want to talk about it, and I want to try to dissociate it from that, and I want to show you why and how I in my heart work to dissociate that. So Colossians, okay? Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. And and I want you to come into chapter 1 and scroll down in in your text toward the end of the chapter. And listen to what is said in verse 28 and 29. And then we're going to jump to 2 Corinthians and, and, and put that on display as well. In, in Colossians 1, 28, it says, And we proclaim Jesus, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom that we may present every man complete, or the word would also be mature, in Christ. And for this purpose also I labor, striving according to His power, which mightily works within me. This is what I want to preach to you with. Because I have a very real sense, and I believe it's true, that there is a kind of an accountability that I will have with God for you. And what I did with you. And how I led you, how I impacted you, how I influenced you, how I loved you how I uh, modeled things for you, how I exhorted or encouraged or or even rebuked you, I I have a real sense, and I want you to to, to help me carry this weight, I have a real sense, i got to answer 
Not just for me, but in some sense for the flock that God has given me. I think Paul makes that clear in his departure from Ephesus in chapter 20 of the book of Acts when he talks about the overseers who've been given the job of shepherding the flock of God. So when I get ready to talk to you about money, I want to be clean with you and I want to work with you so that I can present you complete. So what I want to say and what I want to teach you, I want to try to dissociate it from how it may or may not affect me. And that's hard. But there's a reason even deeper than that. Come with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, because this is when it really uh, comes into clarity for us. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9, and then going into verse 10. So this is why I'm scared. When I talk to you about anything, I was praying on the front view a minute ago, and I'm bowed there and I'm saying, God, it's scary to talk about you. It's scary to represent you. Because I don't want to misrepresent you and somehow by doing that, feather my own stinking nest. I don't want that. This is what I want. Therefore, verse 9, also we have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to Him, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. And so when I'm thinking about presenting every man, woman, boy, girl, complete in Christ, it is for this moment. And so when, when I share with you what I share with you today and the burden that's on my heart, I want you to think that my ultimate goal is to get all of us ready to stand before Jesus. And to give an account. And if somehow I warped that for my own well-being, I believe it will be revealed on that day. Or if somehow I didn't tell you the truth because I was afraid that that's what you would think. That will be on me too. So I have this weird balance to walk between manipulating you for my good or failing to tell you something true because I was afraid you were thinking that I was manipulating you for my good. And so I stand for you today on this little razor's edge and I hope I can keep the balance. So join me in Second Corinthians and in Luke, the two passages, and let's kind of review what we've been doing. And Robin, we're going to kind of hit this first part pretty quick. Number one... We have reviewed the principles of giving. First, the principle of sowing and reaping. And we learned, as we studied two weeks ago, that the principle of sowing and reaping is not a prosperity gospel ethic where God is guaranteeing that if you give to Him, that He is going to make you rich in earthly things. We learned in that text that what God is interested in you reaping is not more money, but that you would actually reap, He would increase the harvest of your righteousness. Why? Because 
As we give, we become more like God because God is the ultimate giver. And the more like God we are, the more righteous we are. And so as we give, we increase our righteousness if the motive is right. We increase our righteousness because we are living and imitating the likeness of God. We are harvesting righteousness. We learned that. The text is there in your outline. Okay, number two. We learned the principle of designated supply. We camped on this last week. And so jump into Luke and look real quick at what we read this morning at the example of designated supply where in Luke chapter 3... The people come for repentance, for baptism, for forgiveness. And they say to John the Baptist, what does repentance look like? What is a life of turning from worldliness to godliness, from wickedness to righteousness look like? And in all three instances when the people asked him, he talked to them about their stuff. And remember I shared with you last week that by this stuff he begins getting into these three particular areas of our life. He gets into our closets. He says, if you've got two cloaks, share with him who has none. Then he gets into our cupboards. If you have more food than you need, share with him who has none. And then he gets into our cash and he says, don't get your money by ungodly means. Be content with what you have. And don't get your money by Greed and avarice and and by deception, be content with what you have. So here's John the Baptist saying, God wants to get into your closet. He wants to get into your cupboard. He wants to get into your cash because he wants to be your contentment. And he knows that closets can hide sources of contentment that are not God. Cupboards can hide sources of contentment. Just like that barn, the man was happy to have this big stock of food and just to be freewheeling and easy when God said, no, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm pulling you into account tonight. He wants to be our contentment. He wants to get into our cash and reveal, is this the source of our contentment? And so that's what we learned about and we camped on that last week. The next thing that we learned, we touched on it two weeks ago, didn't get to hit it yesterday, was the principle of equality. And that is that when we are all giving at the level of equal sacrifice, that is what is pleasing to God. Not equal amounts, but equal sacrifice. And that record in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, it says that they gave, not just according to their ability, but beyond their ability. When Jesus held up the, the widow who gave the copper coins and said, she gave all that she had. There's this idea that the giving that pleases God is when we give to the point that it actually moves into the realm of personal sacrifice. And that that is what God was after. So that springs us into the purposes. So here we go, kind of picking up new material now. The twofold purpose in giving. First, it's very simple, meeting the needs of others. Come with me to 2 Corinthians 9, 12. 2 Corinthians 9, 12. When Paul is encouraging them to give, he's going to talk about their needs. So he says, in verse 12, of this giving ministry, for the ministry of this service is not only fully supplying the needs of the saints. Well, what was going on? 
Well, there had been a famine. The famine had spread across the Middle East, and in spreading across, had hit Jerusalem especially hard. And then it had spread out into other areas where the Gentiles lived, and the famine was very serious, and it was hurting families. Crops were failing, no rain, no water, animals were dying because of it, and this famine was very strong. And so the believers that were living in areas that were still able to come up with some funds... Those believers were pooling their resources, kind of like the cooperative program, and as they pooled them together, they sent them off to meet the needs of the saints. But the saints didn't keep the money, they shared it with their unbelieving neighbors. And so there was this move to minister to those hit by this famine. That's what Paul is referring to here. And they're ministering by meeting the needs of human beings in the midst of a crisis. It goes to the believer and to the unbeliever as well. It's being distributed to humanity because humanity is made in the image of God. And so they're meeting the needs of others. But there's something under that that you have to understand. The chief need of every human being is to know God. That's the number one need of every human being. It's why the universe exists. The whole creation exists to declare the nature of God. We see that in Psalm 18. We see it in Romans chapter 1, verse 18 through 22. We see that the creation exists to communicate The nature of God. And so the reason everything exists is to communicate the goodness of God to people made in His image. The vastness of the sky and the beauty of the beach and the intricacies of biochemistry and the wonder of conception in life. All of these things are the beauty of God displayed to us to communicate His wonder, majesty, goodness, all of His divine nature. The greatest need that we have as humans is to know God. So how does giving fit into that? When we are giving to the orphan, the widow, the poor, the hungry, when we are feeding our enemies and clothing them as Jesus commanded, when we're doing disaster relief, when we are helping folks who have fallen out of work and can't earn a living, when we're doing all of those things, we are showing them what God is like. We're simply being God to them. I'm not saying taking God's place, but we're demonstrating the character and nature of God to suffering people, even to people who don't deserve it. That's why we clothe our enemies, we feed our enemies, we give water to our enemies. We do those things because God did it to us when we were his enemies. When we were rebels, lost, God was commending His goodness to us every single day. And first and foremost, He did it in Jesus. We're going to get to the importance of that in just a moment. And so, the first purpose in the giving is meeting the needs of people. How does a church and church buildings meet the needs of people? It provides a place of evangelism, of worship, of fellowship, all that we may know God. It provides a place for us to sing joyfully to God. It provides a place for us to bring people into that they may know God. It exists here as a lighthouse on this corner so that people may know God, so that we may go out and 
in growing in the likeness of God, show them what God is like from right here at this corner. And so when we give to the church, we are meeting the needs of others through the cooperative program, through our own benevolent ministries, through our own discipleship and worship and evangelism and missions, all of those things working together for this one grand purpose, that people may know God. But that they may know Him beyond just the general sense of creation, but know Him in the, the personal sense in Jesus. To know Him savingly, personally, relationally. That's what we're laboring for, is for folks to know God. So when we're meeting the needs of others, we're giving the opportunity for the nature of God to be demonstrated in us so that people may know Him. That is done by Generosity. Second part that is just as important and is, is one of those things that the two have to dwell together, and that is thanksgiving and glory to God. We don't do these things to make us look good. There's this story in the New Testament in the book of Acts where this couple, they're watching what's going on in the early church. And in the early church, people were so moved by the grace of God in Jesus. They were so happy about their salvation. They were so deeply devoted that they began giving their stuff away. Tithing wasn't a question because people were giving their entire estates. They were selling property. And they were donating it to the needs of others so that the apostles and the church in Jerusalem could administer these needs And take care of all of this stuff. And so there's one particular guy, Barnabas, and he sells his property. And he sells so much property, makes such a big offering that he kind of gets a little of attention. He doesn't want any attention, but he kind of gets a little of attention. And the interesting thing is, is that his name is mentioned, that he's called the son of encouragement. So it's kind of like this guy's such a giver that he's such an encourager that he gets nicknamed because of how he gives, how he serves, how he loves. He's just the son of encouragement. And so this couple steps back and they look at the recognition that Barnabas and some other people got. And they said, you know, we'd like to have that recognition too. If you remember a few weeks ago, I said something very dangerous to you. I had some people raise their eyebrows and come back and talk to me later. And I love when we have conversations about things. But I said, if you're giving for the wrong reason, I'm going to ask you to stop until you can get the motive squared away and get it right. And some people said, you're crazy, Bart. When these two people gave for the wrong reason, they come to church and they lay all this money down at church. And they're hoping to maybe get a new nickname, you know. Kind of like son of encouragement. Wouldn't you like to have a good nickname about your giving? Wouldn't you like to be so generous that people kind of nickname you behind your back? You know, they talk about you and when they talk about you, they kind of pump you up real good. Well, these two folks, that's what they're going to do. They're going to get their rep increased. They're going to get their sort of social media status really good by bringing this chunk of change to the church and laying it before the apostles' feet. Well, here's the deal. When I told you, please don't give if the motive is wrong, this story in Acts is why. Because God called those people out through the Apostle Peter and said, 
did you sell this property for thus and such? They said, yep. So then why did you lie to the Holy Spirit by only giving this amount, holding back the rest for your own personal gain, and trying to get a reputation for being an honest giver? What happened to those people? Yeah, I like this signal. (laughs) That was great. Richard gives me this. It's, yeah, they died. The Lord took their life at a church meeting for toying with God with money to leverage their status. So when I discourage you from giving for the wrong purpose, it's actually because I love you. And I think the same God that's operating there is operating here. He hasn't changed. And so I want us to give for the right reason, and I want us to give for thanksgiving and glory to God. That was why Barnabas was so encouraging. He didn't want the attention. He didn't want the fame. He didn't want the notoriety. He didn't want his name etched in something. He just did it because he loved Jesus. He loved the apostles. He loved the church. He loved the lost. And he just gave. And that heart is the heart that we're after here so that the thanksgiving and glory go to God and not to us. Look in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 13. Because of the proof given by this ministry... They will glorify God. See, that's ultimately what we want Ball and Pineville. All the way up into Grant and over to DeVille and over out 28 West. We want people to look at us and not say, Oh, yeah, what a great church. Or they're really generous. We want people to say, What a great God. That's what we want. So that the result of what we do is not our fame. It's not to position us to be the leading church. No! It is for us to have done something so generous, so significant, so sacrificial, that there is only one who could ever be praised for it. So miraculous that it can't be explained by human will, human emotion, So different that the world begins giving glory to God. That's what we want. Because everything that we do is to make Him known. And the way that He is made known is in His glorious goodness. So that when people know what it is like, they don't get Him as a list of rules. They get Him as a Savior. They don't get Him as one who is forcing, but one who is loving and inviting. They get Him as Jesus presents Him in the Bible. And that's our goal. And so, these two things, the meeting the needs of others and the thanksgiving and glory to God, these are the things. This is what we want to accomplish. This is what we want it to look like. Now, let me lay down one prompt that should drive all this so that we say, okay, why are we going to do this? Why should we give? Why should we be sacrificial? Why should all this go on? Well, Paul gives it in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9 and chapter 9, verse 15. So go to chapter 8, verse 9. Paul says, here's the impetus. Here's the prompt. Here's the purpose that lays under the purpose. Here's the reason we would want the purpose to be fulfilled of meeting the needs of others and God being glorified. Here it is. He says it in chapter 8, verse 9. So clear. 
He says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. He's holding Jesus up as exemplary. He's showing the nature of Jesus that ought to be working in us, laying aside our treasures on earth to have treasures in heaven. And he says that Jesus, for your sake, he became poor, that you, through his poverty, might become rich. In other words, if we pull this down, here, here, go, go ahead to the next one, Robin. The gospel-centered prompt is this. One more slide. There we go. The grace, giving, and gift of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is what ought to be motivating our giving. First, grace. God gave us when we did not deserve. God gave us what we did not deserve. God gave it to us in a way how we did not deserve. Grace in God's giving was Jesus. For God so loved the world that He gave. We are rarely more like God than when we are giving sacrificially for the right purpose. We are rarely more like God than when we are giving sacrificially for the right purpose. That commends the nature of God to each other and to the world. And so this gospel-centered prompt is the grace of God. It is the giving that Jesus does. What does he do? He leaves all of his treasures aside and gives a life of humble obedience, giving himself to us. And then ultimately, the gift is Jesus himself. He is giving and gracious in nature, but the gift is himself. Long before we should ever give our money, we should give ourselves. We cannot give it apart from our heart. We cannot give it apart from our life, apart from our motive. We can't give it apart from our love. We can't give it apart from our affections, our joys, our motives. We can't. We can't separate it. And so, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, it says that these people who were poor were giving. And in verse 5 it says, And this not as we had expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. In other words, long before you give the offering, give yourself to God. And say, I am yours. My heart, my mind, my soul, my stuff, my purposes. I am yours. Do with me and my stuff as you wish. Jesus did that. That's why in the hardest part of Jesus' life on this earth, there is that prayer that says, Oh, Father, if there is any way, let this cup pass from me. But nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. That is the giving of ourselves completely in surrender. So, sum it up. How do we give? I've asked a lot of you over these weeks in consideration. I want to bring it down to five things that I want us to do as sort of an action out of this. Number one. 
We invite God into our closets, our cupboards, our cash, and our contentment. Do it. Take him in your walk-in closet if you got one. I've got one. I made a visit there this past week. Not yours. But mine. I found a lot of things. Ask him into your closet. Last week we were joking around after the sermon. We were having a fellowship. And we were eating with uh, new members. And one of the ladies in the church, who will remain nameless unless she tells, brought me a box of chicken. Y'all know how much I like chicken? Yeah, I'm crazy about chicken. Fried chicken. Super one fried chicken. That's like the whole other level. She brought me a whole box stuffed with chicken and she said, this is a bribe. Stay out of my closet. Now, she was joking, but she was expressing the seriousness of us all. If Jesus came to our house today, live and in person, and said, I need to stop by your closet real quick. I want to see what you're collecting. That's why John the Baptist said, if you have two cloaks, give away one of them. Because the principle of designated supply is, is I don't know if we've been really good about giving away as much as we ought Then he asks, invite him into your cupboard and all that you have stocked aside. I'm going to give you a cupboard thing to do today. I want to ask one thing of you. During the month of January, the food bank, the thing that they ask for is macaroni and cheese. The boxed macaroni and cheese, you know what I'm talking about? And uh, can you all use some of the little little ready-serve ones too? Any kind of macaroni and cheese. The food bank, there's our procurer of the food bank, okay? The food bank needs macaroni and cheese. You know what? I believe we could fill this lobby up with macaroni and cheese next Sunday when we kick off our revival. Do you all think we could do that? I believe we could fill up the lobby and, 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 and absolutely take care of the hungry in our own town next Sunday when we come. Let's all go and get some macaroni and cheese. And let's just load the lobby full of macaroni and cheese. I don't want them to get it in a pickup truck. Okay? Here's my commitment. I'm going to bring a hundred boxes. I'm going to bring a hundred boxes. Alright? Y'all better beat me to Walmart. Okay? Or Max. Or wherever it is. I'm going to bring a hundred boxes myself. I'm bringing a hundred boxes. Okay? Let's get, let's, let's do something with our cupboards. John the Baptist said, you who have food, share with those who have none. We have local hunger. We can do something about local hunger. Let's do that. Can you, can we do it? Okay, let's do that. Let's, let's just blow that out and just really, I want, I want us to be shocked with ourselves next week. I want us to shock ourselves next week and say, wow, we really did that. Let's do that. Okay? If you need us to come and pick up because you're going to get a whole lot and you need us to find, I'll get a pickup truck, come to your house and I'll bring it. Okay? We'll do whatever we need. If you want to do the U-Haul, I'll get a U-Haul. We'll bring it. All right. Invite, honest to God, invite God into our closets, our cupboards, our cash, and our contentment. Because I do believe, go, go to that next slide. 
I believe that what Timothy Keller said was right. For most of us, God hasn't become our happiness. Therefore, we pray to procure things for our happiness and not to know Him better. I believe there's a lot of stuff that we're stumbling over right now that's getting in our way of knowing God. I'm going to tell you something else I'm changing in my life. I'm setting up some margins in my life. I'm putting my phone away at 9 p.m. at my house. If you need me after 9 p.m., my cell phone is not going to be available. And it's going to come back on at 6 a.m. If you have an emergency, my home number is in the bulletin. Call me. Don't text me at night because I'm putting my phone away at night to get some margins in my life. Maybe you need to be doing something like that. I'm finding myself obsessed with all this stuff. And this last week was crazy. Was it crazy? Come on. Was it crazy? It's crazy. The internet was blowing up. The the streets were blowing. It was just nuts. The gospel is the answer. We invite God into our closets, our cupboards, our cash, and our contentment. Let God get into your checkbook, your savings account, your estate planning, as Jerry talked about. Number two, we include other untrustworthy believers into our assessment and accountability to guard against both a poverty and a prosperity ethic. That means husbands and wives need to be having conversations about how are we using our money, Can we both honestly, before God, go in our closet, our cupboard, our cash, and say we know Jesus is pleased with all we got? Husbands and wives, let's work together on this. Parents and children, moms and dads, you may be feathering the nest of your children too much with things that need to be going to other needs, and you may need to have a conversation with your children to say, hey, we need to make some changes here at the house. We need to, we need to, we need to change how we're doing these things. Involve the family. Involve your small groups. Involve people that you trust. Because there is a poverty ethic that you may get into and you may start feeling this weird feeling that you need to give everything away and you may be making some mistakes about that. Or you may be making the thing, well look man, I've worked hard to get all this stuff and let me tell you something, you ain't getting in my cupboard and you're not getting in my cash and you're not going to get in my closet. I'll tell you something. Listen, God will bust in there if you don't let him in. I have watched him break down closet doors and clean them out. And it's a scary thing when it happens. And so I want to encourage you. Invite others into this thing. Conversation. Okay, next. Investigate the best ways to meet the needs of others in a way that glorifies God. The church is your best investment. But it's your first investment. There are lots of other needs also. Like the food bank is... Far and above what we're already going to give to the church. We don't want to take away from the church to do that, but let's add that. Doing mission work is above that. Lottie Moon is above that. Annie Armstrong is above that. Georgia Barnett offering for Louisiana missions, that's above what you're already giving to the church. There may be other things, orphan ministries, widow ministries, that you want to give to. Investigate the best way to meet the needs. Spend some time thinking about it. Fourth, involve ourselves in ministries that meet the needs of others. Money is no replacement for service. Money is no replacement for service. We can't send money to do our work. Listen carefully. One of the reasons the government of the United States is faltering so much is they've believed that money can fix broken things. Especially broken people. My brothers and sisters, money is a tool that may help, but ministry is the gospel hands-on explaining the King and His kingdom, the gospel and its salvation. We need to be deeply involved in ministries. And finally, 
Invest eternally, laying up treasures in heaven. Ask yourself, how much of what I have is really being used eternally? How much? Have I sliced off just a little portion and using all the rest existentially now in the temporal world? What is it? The apostle wrote in the book of Galatians, Paul said, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. Whatever a man sows, so shall he reap. If he sows to the flesh, he shall from the same reap corruption. And if he sows to the Spirit, he shall from the Spirit reap. Life. Life eternal. And so today, as you choose to invite Jesus into your cupboard, your closet, your cash, and to be your contentment, ask honest questions. How much of what I have is being sown to the flesh? And how much is being sown to the Spirit? Would you pray with me as we close? Father, by the grace and goodness of Jesus, I stand before you with fear and trembling because I know my own greed. And I know that the more I study on a subject and be aware of what your word says, the more I preach on a subject and make others aware of what your word says, the more accountable I become for what I have learned and spoken. And so before you, here I am. I know clearly that you have spoken to my heart and that you have sent correction to me. And I repent. And I pray you make clear to me what you have given me to sow and what you've given me to eat for your glory and use in my own hands for your glory. I need help by your spirit, your word, and your church. And now I pray for our dear flock, Father. They're yours. And I want to present them one day complete in Jesus as they give an account of their life at His judgment seat. So by Your Holy Spirit, pour upon us an ability to obey whatever it is You're prompting us to this morning. However you're moving, however you're convicting, even converting souls to the kingdom to come and know Jesus. Oh God, make us loving, humble, generous stewards. Make us yearn for just these simple words. The words of Jesus, 
who would say to us on that day, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will now put you in charge of many. Enter the joy of your Master. We pray in the name of Jesus that you would grant this to us. Some of you who are here today don't have a relationship personal with Jesus. And that's where you need to start. You may have been struggling with it for some time or even professed it at some time when it was not real. And you need to now make it real. And I want to invite you to know that God has loved you through Jesus. In sending Jesus to live the way you should have lived, but you did not. He was perfect as your substitute. And then He died the way that you deserve to die. A sacrifice. Taking your wrath, your punishment, your alienation, your guilt and shame all upon Himself that He may forgive you. The Bible says that God raised Him from the dead on the third day. His disciples were witnesses of that. And He did all that so that you may be forgiven and know Him personally and savingly. Would you call upon Him to save you now? Would you pray with me? God in heaven, You are the giver. And I've heard today that You gave Your Son. And I believe that. And I commit my life to Jesus Christ today. Believing that He has lived for me, died for me, and been raised from the dead. For me. And that now I can be forgiven through Him. Save me. I follow. I turn and repent. I am yours. In Jesus' name. Amen. As God has stirred your heart, would you stand? Would you respond?